Well, good morning. Good morning. Felt so nice to walk out into the nice brisk air this morning. Uh, one of, uh, quick, uh, two quick things uh, before we uh, get going. First of all, I know some of you weren't here when we were talking about uh, church membership. Uh, if you are interested in uh, becoming a member of Morning Hour Chapel, please come see me after church. I've got uh, some materials for you to look over, uh, and we can talk about uh, meeting to uh, kind of go over those things. Uh, also, uh, next week is the last week to bring in the New Hope Ministries stuffing donations. Um, our goal is to get uh, as many boxes of stuffing as we can. They asked us to get 175. I don't know if we'll get 175, but if you're able to uh, donate some boxes of stuffing, uh, please bring them in uh, next Sunday is the last Sunday, and then um, Lori Webb's going to be delivering those over to New Hope on November the 1st. So I have a question. When's the last time that you've given some thought to faith? Not your faith, but just faith. When's the last time you've thought about what is faith, what does it mean? Hey, Jesus tells us that uh, we need to have faith like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with little children before, uh, but there, there's a lot of faith there. They put a lot of faith in us. They put a lot of faith in their teachers. They put a lot of faith in, in, their, in the adults. And uh, we're praying that the kids that are down in Sunday school are going to be putting their faith in Jesus Christ. But one day there was a young boy, about eight or nine years old. He was sitting on a park bench. And he was reading his Bible. So he had uh, one hand um, on his open Bible, and he was raising the other hand, and he was screaming, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! God is great! And he didn't care whether or not anybody noticed him, whether anybody was going to make fun of him, anybody was going to see him. But soon, a man who had recently graduated from college, uh, he got a degree in philosophy, and he approached the boy. He saw the boy. Oh, hallelujah, God is great. God is great. And the man felt very enlightened from his time in college. How many of you college graduates feel very enlightened when you get your diplomas? And he felt that it was his duty to come up to this very eager young man and to try to help to enlighten him. And he asked the boy, why are you so happy? What are you yelling about? And the boy answered with a beaming smile, don't you have any idea what God is able to do? I just read that God opened the waters of the Red Sea and let the whole nation of Israel right through the middle. And of course, the enlightened man, he laughed, he chuckled, he sat down next to the boy in a very condescending kind of way. And he said, well... That's not really what happened. Let me try to open your eyes to the realities of these miracles in the Bible, little boy. All of this can be very easily explained. Modern scholars have shown that the Red Sea in that area was only 10 inches deep. So the Israelites could have just waded across the river. And the boy's face fell he was, kind of, he was kind of sad to hear this, and his eyes wandered back down to the Bible that he was reading. 
And the man, of course, very happy that he'd been able to enlighten this boy, got up and started to walk away. But he only got about two or three steps before he heard the boy beginning to rejoice and praise God again. Hallelujah, God is great! And he was yelling even louder than before. And the man turned and he's like, what are you doing? I just explained to you what happened to the Red Sea. And the boy said, God is greater than I thought. Not only did he lead the whole nation of Israel through the Red Sea, he topped it off by drowning the whole Egyptian army in 10 inches of water. <laughs> That's faith. That is faith, a child's faith. And this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series titled, What to Expect When You're Christianing. We're walking through the book of James. We've been there for a bit now. And this morning and uh, possibly next week, uh, we're going to be looking at one of the most, I think, one of the most contentious, debated passages in all of Scripture. Uh, spoiler alert, it's where James talks about faith and works. And this just has driven Christians crazy. And it really shouldn't. And we're going to kind of open this up and see what James is talking about. And we're starting in James chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And these four verses have had Christians in hot debates for centuries because some Christians read this passage and believe that it means that we are not saved by faith alone, but that we have to do works in order to be saved. And of course, we believe that we are saved by faith alone. And Jesus agrees with our, uh, with our faith. Jesus teaches us that we are saved by faith alone. Paul teaches us that we are saved by faith alone. In Mark chapter 2, a paralyzed man is brought, to, uh, brought by his friends to Jesus. He can't walk, so they carry him on this bed. And they couldn't get in to see Jesus, so they climbed up onto the roof, opened the roof, and let him down in his bed right in front of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, we read, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. And in Luke chapter 7, a woman comes to Jesus as he's having supper with a Pharisee and some of the Pharisee's friends, and she weeps at his feet. She bows down and she weeps at his feet, and she, she washes his feet with her tears, and she dries his feet with her hair, and then she anoints his feet with this precious, expensive oil. And of course, the Pharisee is thinking, what is she doing? And what is Jesus doing? If Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he would never allow this to happen. After Jesus tells a parable of forgiveness to the people at the table, he says this to the woman. He says, your sins are forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we can see that Jesus 
certainly taught that salvation is through faith. And even Paul, he teaches salvation by faith alone. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul speaks of the richness of the mercy of God and his great love. And in verses 8 and 9, he says, and most of us have heard this, this passage, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no man may boast. Well, that certainly sounds like it completely contradicts what James is, is writing. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. And the message is pretty clear here from, from Jesus and from Paul that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, not through anything that we can do. But this is where Christians kind of get James wrong a little bit. James isn't talking about being saved in this passage. He's not talking about the act of, of forgiveness that God showers on us when we repent. I mean, he, he is talking about that. He's talking about people who say they are saved. But he's actually talking about the intended consequences, what God intends after we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, after we believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, that God raised him from the dead. And up until now, James has been writing to this church that's been scattered all over the world. And he has introduced this theme that he wants Christians living in a non-Christian world and sometimes an anti-Christian world to understand. First, he tells Christians that they need to be hearers and doers of the word. And then he states that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is really setting up his letter to talk about how Christians do their lives. He's not talking about how they become saved. He is writing to people who have already been saved. They are Christians. He is talking about how, what happens next. What happens after you profess faith in Jesus Christ. And last week we looked at what James said about favoritism in the church and the act of treating others uh, better or worse depending on their wealth or poverty. And this passage is a continuation of his letter, his teaching. When James says that faith without works is dead, he's continuing this theme. This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is how you're supposed to be living, Christians. And he continues. He says, if someone needs food and you say to them, I'll pray for you, but you don't actually give them food, what good is that to that person? It's not any good at all to them because they're still hungry. Maybe they need clothes. They're poorly clothed. They need clothing. And it is, it is great to pray for people who are poor. It is great to, to, to pray for people who are in need, spiritually, financially, physically, whatever. But what James is saying is it's not enough. 
And we see this a lot in our society, in our culture. What is the first thing that most politicians say when a disaster happens? Our thoughts and prayers are with the people of such and such a place. But how often do their thoughts and their prayers extend into action? And guess what? For a lot of Christians, it's the same way. I'll be praying for you. But are your prayers leading to action? This is what James is asking. He is saying that good works are a natural result of having faith. That salvation, true salvation, is accompanied by the Christian doing the works that God intends for him to do or her to do as they are, are receiving this free gift. And Jesus and Paul agree with this too. Jesus and Paul agree that Christians should be doing good works. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee about eternal life. And one of the most famous Bible passages ever is John 3.16. Almost everybody can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How often, though, do we stop reading there? Because if we read a few uh, verses, about 20 verses later, at the very end of Jesus' conversation with this Pharisee, this is what he says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Notice those words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but... Whoever does not obey the Son does not have eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son is not truly saved. This is what Jesus is saying here. Yes, when you believe, you have eternal life, but if you don't show the fruits of that belief, are you really saved? Jesus confirmed this in Matthew chapter 25. He talks about the sheep and the goats, and he separates the sheep to the right and the goats to the left, and the sheep are the ones who did these things. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Those are the things the sheep did. Those are the things that the goats did not do. And the sheep are welcomed into the kingdom of God. And the goats are told to go into hell. The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Even Paul. We read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 just a few minutes ago. By grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. But in verse 10, Paul continues. He says... For we are his workmanship. When we become saved, we become the workmanship of Jesus Christ. And we are created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God knew what he wanted us to do. When we got saved, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, 
We also accepted him as our Lord. And lords get to tell you what to do. And if we take the Savior part and we cut out the Lord part, Jesus says that that's not faith. Paul wrote a letter to Titus. He pointed out the necessity for Christians to do good works. In Titus 3.8, he said, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And Paul's not just talking about Christian people here. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What good is it if somebody tells you that they're hungry or that they need clothes and all you do is pray for them? That's what James is saying. It's the same thing that Paul is saying here. When God gave his son so that we might see forgiveness for our sins, he saved us. And he had good works prepared for us beforehand. Those good works are obedience to Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. When we say we're going to follow the word of God, we are following Jesus Christ. And again, neither James nor Jesus nor Paul are saying that salvation comes from works. That is completely different. Salvation does not come from works. We can do all the good works that we want to, and we cannot be saved. Because we don't believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Good works are the overflow of our love for Jesus Christ. If we say that we love Jesus Christ, if we say he is our Lord and Savior, good works naturally flow from that love. Works like giving to the poor. Even giving them a cup of cold water. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42, if someone gives a cup of cold water in my name, they are doing good works. And James spends the rest of chapter 2 defending his position. He already has heard from Jesus. He already knows what Paul is preaching. But there are Christians that he is dealing with, Christians that he is writing to, that are questioning this whole thing about good works. And he says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And this is, this is all James is saying. Show me. Show me. Don't just tell me. Show me. How do people, how do these people whom you live among, these anti-Christians or these non-Christians, how do they know you're different from them? How do they know that you love Jesus Christ, that you call him your Lord and your Savior? How do they know? James says, you believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And we read that time and again in the scripture, in the gospels. Anytime that Jesus 
casts out a demon. Many times the demons are yelling back at him, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Or, son of God, please don't send us away. Send us into the pigs. They know who he is. Satan knows who Jesus is. God expelled Satan from Jesus. Satan knows who God is. Satan went toward, uh, before God to ask permission to afflict Job. He knows who he is. Doesn't mean he loves him. Doesn't mean that he's his Lord and Savior. And James goes on to demonstrate this point. Look, this is not the way we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to just say, hey, I love Jesus, and then go about our merry way. And he uses two examples from the Old Testament. The first example is Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. Abraham. Everybody's, yes, Abraham. And his other example, Rahab the prostitute. These are the two examples that he uses in this passage. And if that's not opposite ends of the spectrum, I don't know what is. But James discusses Abraham's display of faith in action when he offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And James says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. He wasn't just standing around saying, yes, God, I believe in you. He was obeying God when God told him, sacrifice your son Isaac. His works completed his faith. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And this is where Christians sometimes get stuck. Because we are saved by faith alone. But that doesn't mean we are saved if we're not going to work, if we're not going to obey Jesus Christ. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Even Rahab, who was, who was living in sin, was justified by God was forgiven by God because she took care of his people. And James says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And I want you to imagine. Imagine your spiritual life and imagine that it's a tree. I love the, the symbol of the tree with rooted in Christ with the, with the youth. It's a great symbol. But imagine your spiritual life as a tree. Everybody knows trees have roots. The roots are our faith. And hopefully those roots run deep because we drink in the water that is Jesus Christ. But we can't see the roots and neither can anybody else. We can tell people the roots are there. But unless the tree starts to grow, unless the tree breaks out of the ground, 
and becomes visible. What's good are the roots? People can see our growth in Jesus Christ. They can look and they can say, hey, there's a tree. Hey, there's a Christian. And do you know what happens as trees grow up? The roots get deeper. As we grow as Christians, our faith grows deeper. And the tree develops strength and endurance. And guess how it does that? Through trials, which is what James said in chapter 1. You will have trials. A tree becomes strong when the wind beats against it. A tree becomes strong when adversity comes against it. And it continues to grow and strengthen, especially if the roots are deep. And eventually that tree grows up and it grows branches and it grows leaves and then it grows fruit. As we mature in our faith, we get to the point where we can bear fruit. But bearing fruit means our, our, our roots have to be incredibly deep. We've got to be able to get the nutrients from our faith into our fruit. And the fruit that we bear is what we use to feed other people. Our fruit is what we use to feed them spiritually. And our fruits, those things that God provides to us, we're supposed to use those to feed them physically. To feed them, to give them a glass of water, to clothe them, to welcome them into our homes, to go and visit them when they're sick or when they're in prison. And James says, you got to take care of the physical needs if you, if you want them to see who you are as a person of faith. And we care for their spiritual needs as we're feeding them, as we're clothing them. We pray for them. We pray with them. We tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and what He has done to turn us into a tree that bears good fruit. And even then, it's still not our job to save them. That still falls on the Holy Spirit, so there's good news. That's not your job. Your job is to bear fruit. Your job is to feed them. Your job is to clothe them. Your job is to pray for them. Your job is to share the gospel with them, and then the Holy Spirit, he comes in and plants that seed. That seed that we pray will turn into another fruit-bearing tree. Why should people listen to us when we talk about Jesus Christ? They are much more likely to listen to us when they can see our fruit. When they can see how deeply our roots of faith grow down into Jesus Christ 
so that our tree can grow up. And if our tree is dead, if we're not bearing fruit, if our leaves are all brown and crinkly, if our bark is falling off, if, if things are rotting on the tree, it's because our roots are not where they're supposed to be. The roots of our faith are likely very shallow. And that's why a tree might die. And that's what James said. Faith without works is dead. William Wilberforce led the British movement to abolish slavery. And he succeeded. And he defined a Christian's good works as the fruits of holiness. And he said that these fruits are the effect, not the cause, of being saved. James is saying the same thing. You're saved through your faith. But if you're going to be holy, if you're going to be effective at sharing the gospel, you've got to bear fruit. It's as simple as that. And what are the fruits of holiness? The fruits of holiness are the things that we do in obedience to Jesus Christ. We do feed people. We do clothe people. We do give. And we pray. And we share Jesus Christ with them. It's a package deal. Faith doesn't really work without works. You've got to put them together. Faith and works. And when people see your fruit, when people understand who Jesus Christ is because they look at your works, you can look at them and you can say, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have some of my fruit. Bite into it. Know who Jesus Christ is. Let the Holy Spirit plant that seed. And then we can watch it grow. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Father, we thank you that Jesus, who gave that life for us, was so determined to tell us how we can not only grow in our own faith, but how we can share our faith with others. 
Father, we know that we are not saved through anything but your grace and mercy and love. But help us. Help us to grow our roots of faith deeper so that our tree can bear fruit. So that we can be a witness for Jesus Christ in a broken world. Make us fruit bearers so that people can taste and see that you are good. Show us how to use our time, our money, our friendships. Show us how to use them for your glory so that others might know who you are. So others might come to faith in you and so others might be spurred on to good works. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. As you leave this week, pray, study Scripture, spend time with fellow Christians deepening your roots so that people can see the fruit that is born through your faith and then feed people, clothe people, share the gospel of Jesus Christ through your works. And let the Holy Spirit plant that seed. God bless you this week.